Welcome to the SNR Podcast. I'm your host, Salima Ismail. Today on the show, we speak to Don Kennerly, a senior HRO expert at Safe and Reliable, an incredibly patient and persistent proponent of patient safety, who incites sustainable change through careful thought, data-driven decisions, and intentional action. I always knew I was interested in science, and I wasn't sure exactly whether I would take kind of a research or a patient care into things, but I thought that was pretty cool. And so I did reasonably well in those courses in high school, and so I headed into college with sort of a leaning towards some form of science. I thought it would be more fun to be in sort of a helping profession and not just a sort of knowledge profession. Don ended up getting an MD-PhD and, in effect, kept his options between patient care and research open. At some point, he joined the faculty at the UT Southwestern Medical School in Dallas, which eventually gave him some new opportunities. Over time, I was asked to take on some administrative projects to help with trying to improve the quality of care for patients with asthma in the city of Dallas. And I realized that I could maybe make a bigger difference by being part of redesigning healthcare so that uh, those patients had more preventive care instead of just when they got really sick. With this realization, Don decided to work at Baylor Healthcare since their philosophy seemed to better align with his own. Eventually, he became their first chief patient safety officer, which meant a lot to him. Patient safety was really actually pretty personal from my perspective because a number of my family members had fairly serious adverse events, even some of them in my own hospital. And that made me especially passionate about wanting to try to make things better because the only thing that you can do to sort of try to make up for hurting somebody, even if it's just by mistake, is to try to commit yourself to not doing the same thing to somebody else. I think that is really fed my passion to try to have the care wherever I work, whether it was in my time at Baylor or in the consulting world, to try to help organizations to be able to deliver care that they're proud of and that they would be glad to receive as a patient. What Don has touched on here is what he calls the golden rule of healthcare the guiding principle of not providing care that you wouldn't want to receive yourself. And the way Don approached determining the best practices was logical and methodical. I looked at data a lot to see what things weren't working, because if you don't know what's not working, you don't know where to focus your effort. So when we looked at, like, how do we reduce inpatient mortality, uh, which is our goal, you can't just announce that that's the goal. You have to have strategies that, that match up with data that shows an opportunity. We spent a fair amount of time at Baylor using something that the IHI had developed called the Global Trigger Tool, which was a way to measure injuries to patients as a result of their care. When we used that method on a random set of patients at Baylor, we discovered that the rate of injuries was much higher 
than most people had imagined. And so we, we used that as a measure of outcome, and we ultimately reduced the rate of adverse events by about 40% over time. And those reductions wound up reducing the average length of stay for a patient and contributed to about 30 to $50 million in better financial performance by trying to get care right the first time. Clearly, Dawn delivered some incredible results, not only in providing better care for patients, but also financially for the healthcare system, all by taking a preventative stance when it comes to having something go wrong with the patient. There really are several ways to understand how often the wrong things happen to patients. The first way is that when a healthcare provider makes a mistake, they can report it and that's called a voluntary reporting system. And that shows a fairly small rate because it's hard for people to admit that they've made a mistake and to put it literally in writing that they made a mistake and it may have hurt a patient. However, just feeling like this was the case was not enough. Don actually proved that voluntary reporting was not sufficient he hired some nurses to look at a random sample of patient records and see if the patient was high risk. Then they checked if there was a bad outcome as a result of care, regardless of the reason. We applied the test that if if it didn't happen to everybody, meaning that it's just sort of a natural outcome of care, and it only happened to some people, then it's an adverse event. When we first talked to our, our surgeon colleagues, we showed them some of the records that were positive for adverse events and ask them whether they thought that those were adverse events. Uh, We didn't ask if they were preventable. We just asked them whether they thought that these are things that, you know, could potentially be things that could have come out better. And they agreed that 95% of them were in fact adverse events, but they're almost never reported as suboptimal outcomes. You know, the, the first reaction they had was, well, you know, these, these things sort of happen. Uh, and our reaction was, well, of course, they're going to happen some, but wouldn't it be nice to have fewer of them? So Don and his team tried to confirm how well the team was following protocols, including the World Health Organization's Safe Surgery Saves Lives checklist. And when I looked at our audits of those, we were at like 99.5%. But when someone is in the room auditing it, that changes behavior. So I wasn't convinced that we were really doing it that well. So we put together a survey, all OR nurses, it was an anonymous survey. We asked them, out of the last 10 patients you had, how many of them had the surgical checklist done as well as you would want if a family member of yours was the patient? Because again, that's sort of the golden rule, right? And so we found out that nurses were only about 83% positive about that. So it wasn't that the checklist wasn't being done. It was that it wasn't being done very well. And once we got that data out to everybody, people started asking some hard questions about that. And over three years, uh, when we redid those surveys, it turned out that the survey results got much better. And and the last time we did it, it was 96%. This type of impressive improvement doesn't come without having the data to back it up. 
but also requires having a certain attitude when working with all the stakeholders. Don refers to these as the five P's of patient safety. The first is that you have to be very patient-centered. This is all about patients. This is not about the providers. And the second P is really that you have to be passionate about wanting it to be better. The third is that you have to be persistent about this because things don't change right away. And the fourth is that you really have to be patient because things don't change overnight. And the last one is uh, really, I think, one of the most important is to always be polite and to presume that everyone wants to be aligned with making patients better and to not be insulting or derogatory to people. I think we always have to meet people where they are. These five behaviors sound simple, but it can be hard to balance all of them. Oftentimes, people are very passionate and they want to move so fast. But the minute they get aggressive and impolite or disrespectful, you lose that person, if not forever, for a long time. So it's about establishing credibility and being persistent, being data-driven, but knowing that no one likes to change. But we have to have the goal that success takes months to years, not weeks to months. And Don's patience and professionalism has not gone without being tested. The hardest situation I ever had was with a group of orthopedic surgeons when I was asking them to do, uh, follow a national guideline that uh, related to blood use and how much we use because blood is a precious resource. And one of the uh, orthopedic surgeons told me that I was a Nazi <laughs> and only a puppet for the administration. And so, you know, that was probably the hardest thing I ever had to sort of suck up. But I, uh, there were about eight or nine other people in the room other orthopedic surgeons. And I said, how many of you agree with him? And no one raised their hand. And so I said, okay, I just, just checking because if I'm really off track on this, I want to know. And so if you're going to get even with somebody, you have to do it in ways that don't make you look like a jerk. Clearly, bringing about change is a nuanced and difficult process. However, Don discovered that even when you start small, you can make some huge impacts. We had a, a project with some orthopedic surgeons largely, and they can be kind of challenging, but we asked them if they wouldn't mind trying some things in the OR when they first start off every day. The first is to make sure they greet everybody in the OR by name. The second is to refer to the patient by their name, not the procedure that was being done, and to explain who the patient is and where they are in their life and why this surgery is important to them. And then to tell everybody in the OR that in order to try to make a good outcome for this patient, please let me know if you see anything you're worried about. And by their saying that, it makes it much easier for others who aren't physicians in the OR to speak up. Don and his team trained the surgeons on applying this new behavior in their day-to-day through simulations and rolled out this process throughout the Baylor Group, Dartmouth, and Kaiser. The outcome across the board was incredible. There was an undeniable reduction in surgical safety events just by making these small changes. Those seem like soft things, but just having the right person say the right thing at the right moment to be able to set the tone for the operation being more about the patient than about the surgeon and to encourage teamwork. 
Those are very powerful statements. And after we did that with a group of about 10 surgeons, the nurses liked it so much that about 20 other surgeons wanted to get training and we did it with them. And then about a year later, it became a a requirement. But I'm sure if we made it a requirement at the start, people would have pushed back and said that wasn't worthwhile. Another way Don is able to get teens to understand how the work is worthwhile is by starting with data. Looking at data to to look for opportunities, one of the paradigms as it relates to data and information is that there's lots of data out there, but the challenge of organizations is to convert data into actionable information. And with those actions, you develop the next level, which is knowledge. And finally, with that knowledge, you acquire wisdom as an organization. So it goes from data to information to knowledge to wisdom. And one of uh, the, the things I tried to do was to find data that would then create actionable uh, information. And, and so I had a number of analysts who work with me to surface opportunities for improvement because I guarantee you that people are going to spend more time listening to you if you have data that suggests that a change would be a good idea than if you just tell them you think it would be better. These days, Don has found a way to collect actionable data through tools provided by Safe and Reliable. One of the things that's very nice about Safe and Reliable is that it has this wonderful score tool that collects enormous amounts of data. And that data through the debriefing process is converted into actionable information. One of the things that we commonly focus on as a result of the score survey are gaps in communication. And as a result of that being kind of low for many hospitals, we commonly focus with our lens boards and our units to be exploring what are the things that might be misunderstandings or communication gaps. Not to try to point the finger at somebody, but to show that maybe there needs to be better systems of communication. So for example, in one organization, if there was problem with knowing who the on-call specialists were in the surgery arena, and so by putting their names about who was on call which days and giving their contact information and putting it on the Today page of the lens board, now that that OR area is able to know exactly who to call. The last thing a physician wants to do is to have someone call up about a patient they're really not covering. Even worse, if you call them in the middle of the night about something like that. So it's a win-win to put information up that helps people to, to do the right thing and get the right thing done the first time. One of the reasons Don is so effective at what he does is because he lives his philosophies. Being a patient safety officer means you have to walk the talk. So you have to have a pretty low-risk life. So from my perspective, I really loved using a chainsaw to cut down trees, but I decided that I better stop using a chainsaw because if I hurt myself, 
that way, I'm sure that that would be a spectacular human interest story that would go out that somebody who's responsible for safety wound up doing a high-risk thing. So I, I never drink too much when I go out. Very careful about that. Same rules. So it's uh, it's not only that I, I walk the talk for the right reasons, but it's also partly because it would be terribly embarrassing if I was supposed to be living a high-reliability life and didn't. I think it's very stressful for people to believe something different than what they're saying or doing. And there are some people I run into who do that, and I think it's very hard. But for me, it's very easy because I'm... I mean, all the things I do are very much in line with feeling like my purpose on the planet is to, to make people healthier and to empower people to be successful and to feel like I've left something useful behind when my time is up. If you would like to contact Don Kennerly or would like to submit any questions or comments about the podcast, please email podcast at srh.care. That's all for today. The Safe and Reliable podcast was produced and edited by me, Salima Ismail. Our theme music was produced by MonkeyMan535 from freesound.org. Special thanks to Don Kennerly and a very special thanks to you for tuning in. See you again soon.